0: listening to First Church Charlotte. Well praise the Lord somebody. Great to see you all today. I've been able to greet many of you and I've even gotten a few hugs in on some of you. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting with us for the first time or the second time or the 1300th time, we're glad to see you in the house of the Lord today. Some of you have your family with you and we're glad I was able to meet some of your various uh, family members. We're honored to have you all. Of course, it's great. My wife's already mentioned it's great to see Danny. Danny was a part of our church several hundred years ago. And then uh, right after we founded the Republic, uh, he was transferred up north, uh, and the Lord, the Lord has worked with him. Um, Danny has a, a special anointing on his life. Uh, I want you to believe that, Danny. I want you to believe that the Lord has an anointing on you. I know the enemy's fought you and done everything he can to trip you up. Sorry for doing this publicly. I should have done this privately. Oh, well, you have to suffer. I have the microphone. You're stuck. Uh, the Lord's committed to you. Amen. Amen. And so we are in the word of the Lord together here today. I am going to give you my title and I'll save my text for later. This is my title today, Sitting Before the Lord. Somebody say it with me, sitting before the Lord. I'm not standing, I'm not kneeling, I'm not prostrate upon my face, sitting in the presence of the Lord. How many of you feel blessed? Uh, now, okay, put your hands down. Now, this time, I don't want you to do that in the sense of, you know, I ought to be thankful. I want you to think about where God brought you from. And I want you to think where you could have ended up. I want you to think about some of the mistakes you've made in your life that, by God's grace, did not destroy you. Done some dumb things. <laughs> if I tear my pants, y'all don't tell anybody, okay? Thanksgiving was not kind to me. <laughs> and yet, here you are. You made it. You made it. You made it. You made it. You made a bump your neighbor and say you made it. God's love is uh, overwhelming. I mean, uh, sometimes, sometimes we rush through Thanksgiving. Let's bless the food. Thank the Lord. Good food. Good meat. Dear Lord, let's eat. Let's, let's say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Hold on for a second. Think about all the stuff that could have destroyed you. And here you are today. You made it through. Uh, We're instructed in the word of the Lord that we, if we're going to do this right, we're going to please God. We have to walk justly. Somebody say amen. Walk justly. That means you want to get your life right. You don't, want to, you don't want to have great these commissions of errors and sin. You want to get that right. You want to get yourself sorted out. And as good as you can, do better. Do better. You're not going to jump all the way up to my level. I'm nearly perfect. You're not going to jump. I better restate that. I caught my wife looking at me there. And so you're not going to jump all the way up there to my wife's level. She's nearly perfect, okay? That's not how you're going to get out. That's not how our lives are lived. You don't leap around. And one of the greatest errors that people make when they come back to God is they think, I'm on level 10, but if I go to church this Sunday, I'll be on level 500. Nah, that's not how it works. Um, what you do is you, you take a step at a time. You, you, you. My life is this testimony. I, I've, I've seen other people that were up here I, 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 spent a, I was in the prayer room and Sister Vanessa was in the prayer room sorry for picking, well I'm not sorry for picking on you you just have to suffer um, she's in the prayer room and she's like praying and praying and praying and I can feel the fervency of her prayers and I feel that, that prayer warrior as we like to say And you think with yourself, man, I want to pray like that. So you take a run and leap. So she's on level, let's just give her like a round number, 100. And you know, I'm down on 6.3. You know what I mean? I take a run and leap and I jump for 100. I never get there. Always hit the wall at 6.5 and slide back down to 6.3. And don't act like that. You're the same way. You know how you make progress in doing justice? One step at a time, one small decision at a time, one victory at a time. That's how you make progress. And you say, I don't know about that. Honey, God had Moses in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. Some things you don't get in 40 minutes. Amen. You grab, okay? But that's half of it. The other half of it is to love mercy. I'm so thankful to God today for His mercy. I'm so thankful that He has kept me. And. So um, y'all don't know it, but I've already started preaching. So I want to I want to start by telling you a, um, a little bit of my story. Uh, I always wanted to do something for the Lord. I always did. I did not know exactly how that would look. Uh, I just knew that if the Lord would use me, that he would he would kind of, uh, in some way, prepare a path, and I would walk in that path. That was my that was always been in my heart. Uh, I went through some years in my teens and even my 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 older years where I didn't know if really I was cut out for ministry. The problem with many people is they meet God's people before they. meet God. (laughs) I have a dancing spirit. Have you noticed that? So um, they, they meet God's people before they meet God and then they hold God to the standard of his people. And then they wonder why they have no joy. They wonder why they have no hope, you know? And so uh, I, in my life, I always wanted to be used of God, but you know, things happened and uh, circumstances came my way and I had ups and downs and, you know, uh, good days, bad days. You, you know what I'm talking about. You were worse, way worse than I ever was, you know? And so, <laughs> and so um, I didn't know exactly what that would look like. Some of my friends, particularly when I was in, went to Bible uh, school, uh, some of my friends had these dramatic open doors of ministry some of them were very good, and I I felt like God would never use me. I didn't feel very talented, Um, but I had this drive. I had this sense that I had to do something, and for a long time, I thought it was up to me. I've since been disabused of that notion. (laughs) Uh, You have to believe that the Lord builds the house, or they labor in vain who build it. All you have to do is be willing to work in his field. You cannot create the field. You only can go work in the field. The field is the Lord. The earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof. We work within God's creation, so it is Adam didn't build the garden. He just worked in the garden God had built. Don't have time for that. That's another message. And so... Uh, the Lord placed individuals in my life who had tremendous influences on me. When I was a young man, my favorite camp meeting preacher was a pastor by the name of Rex Johnson. He pastors in Texas. I was still a fabulous preacher, and he—I'd go to camp meet and I'd hear him to preach, and I'd think to myself, someday I'm going to be a great preacher like that. I'm going to be a great, great preacher like that. And uh, he was the 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 preacher, quote unquote, the preacher maha in my life, you know. And then there was. Uh, of course, my dad was a huge influence on me. But a lot of times, uh, if you tell, if, 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 if as a son, as a son, you, you see in your father all the things that uh, you, you don't know if you ever can do that. And a lot of times, they call it the, being the, the curse of the great father, you know, where your whole life, no matter what you do, you never can measure up. I felt that a few days. And um, so we're not going to talk about those feelings today. <laughs> and so uh, one of the pastors in my life as a young man, a man, uh, was, uh, many of you know him, Pastor Wayne Huntley. Uh, he had a very large influence on my life at a young age, and, and as older, as I got older, and he, uh, in many ways, Brother Johnson and Brother Huntley are opposites in many ways, but they both had a tremendous influence on me. And another man that had just a crazy influence on me, just immense, overwhelming influence, was a Pastor Eliseo from Greensboro. You guys know him. Uh, he is, in many ways, responsible. More than than anyone else I've ever known for my intellectual development. So if you think I'm crazy, blame Glenn Alessio. It's all his fault. Uh, he, 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 crea- he took the possibility, there was a possibility within me of being a compulsive student, of being a studier, of being studious, not just, you know, bless God, but to study and not just repeat someone else's thoughts and someone else's relationship with God, somebody else's prayers, but to go to the Scripture and humble yourself and say, assume I know nothing, God, where do I start? And so, uh, also, also, uh, my wife's father, my brother Nugent, pastors in. Well, he's well, he's pastoring now uh, in uh, Lake Charles. And th- these men had tremendous influence on me. The other day, I was thinking about this, and it struck me that every one of these men are first generation. None of them come from a heritage like I do. I I admit I come from a heritage. My dad is a great man of God, a a great kind Christian, a great man of God. You know, I can pray 24 hours a day and then show up at the gates of heaven and say, Peter, have I got as spiritual as my father? And Peter says, no, get thee behind me. And um, I I, I can't. But but these men all had this, they were first generations. Rex Johnson's dad was an alcoholic, abusive, uh, and... uh, uh, Wayne Huntley's dad was an alcoholic, very abusive. I've heard some horrible stories of that. Uh, my brother-in-law, Glenn Alicio, his dad was a con man, a literal, uh, actual working con man. You know, I have a bridge to sell you, you know. Um, to this day, to this day, if you want to make my brother-in-law feel awkward, uh, pretend that he's wronged you in some way. And it's almost like he can't stay inside a skin. He made a decision. He would never be a dishonest individual like he had seen growing up in his own dad. Um, and of course, my father-in-law, Sonny Nugent, his, his dad was just uh, not in, in many ways, not a, bad man, but in many ways, kind of a rough old guy, just not spiritual, not nothing to do with the things of God, maybe later in his life, but just a a rough, hard guy. And um, all of these men that that had had such an influence on me were first generation anointed. It's got to start somewhere. It might as well start with you. If any of you come from families and you don't have this heritage of anointing in your life, don't take that as a reason why you ought to quit. You drive a stake into the ground and say, God, put me here and I claim this spot for the kingdom of God. I will be anointed. Think of your children, some of you who have received gifts in your life. You owe your children something powerful, something spiritual, something scriptural. You owe them. Don't be, don't, don't make them start over with nothing. You sh- give them the gift of God's benefits flowing generationally through your family. But if you're first generation, don't let that stop you, honey. You can be used of God. You can be anointed of God. You can make a difference with your life. Your hands will feed the hungry. Your prayers will be offered for the sick. Your mouth will declare the glory of God. The volunteering you do on ministry teams will feed the hungry and help people be brought to hope. I, I uh, in, in talking to these men, they've all had this influence on my life, I, I thought about, I've heard their stories, and I, I I won't tell, I won't tell, I'll just tell my, uh, some of the stories that I know from within my family, uh, particularly through my in-laws, and, but I, I want to say each of these four men has astonishing stories they could tell about how they came from nothing, and God used them mightily, uh, and it's an astonishment to them how God used them my, my father in-law tells of growing up on this this, this sharecropper uh, farm uh, situation, and they were, they were very poor they, they, they'd had no vehicle um, and he he Every Sunday morning, he would get dressed up in his best clothes. And him and his sisters would sit on the porch of their house. I've been to this house. Um, it's in North Louisiana, a place you have no desire to go unless you want to eat or love people. But if you want to eat and love people, Louisiana is an awesome place to be. Otherwise, run. Run for your lives. Do not cross. Go. Anyway, the food is the best in the world. And the people will love you. And the people are a little bit nuts. That's why there's over 20 reality shows about Cajuns. <laughs> Just jump in there with that crocodile. We don't even care. Twenty reality shows. I'm married into the Cajuns. What was I thinking? Anyway, uh, he would sit on this porch and him and his sisters and uh, one of the neighbors had a little bit better off than he was. And they, uh, they were. And they would come down and they would turn at the end of that driveway and they'd drive down the long gravel path down to the house. And the kids would be sitting there all dressed up for church. And they were looking in and they're trying to see. The reason why they're looking in the car is they want to know how many seats there are. Because if there is, uh, that means how many of them are going to get to go to church this Sunday. And if there's only one seat, that means only one of them gets to go. And so the oldest gets to go. And and Brother Nugent was the youngest. So most Sundays he sat there all dressed up, holding his Bible, sitting on the porch, looking in the windows of the car to see whether or not he got to go to church that Sunday. And many Sundays he didn't get to go. And it put a love. He says this, and he's testified this here at this church. It put a love in his heart for the things of God, a love in his heart for the people of God. And to this day, he loves going to church. I'll be tired, ready to go on vacation. He'd be like, nope, going to church. Uh, He he loves that. Well, that's one of his stories. I want you to see this young man who comes from no background of anointing, no generational inheritance of the move of God, just just a love for the things of God. He has this in him, and he uh, that's one of his stories, okay? That's, that's the story that you see of this longing within him to be a part of the people of God, to be in some manner used of God, but to think within himself, the, the, uh, who am I? I can't even get a ride to church. So the second story I want to tell you is a story that I'm a part of, and one thing that's always irritated me about my father-in-law is that no matter what's going on he can sleep all night long (laughs) that's like having a demon or something (laughs) There's something wrong if you, you're going through trouble and you can sleep all night long. I, if I'm going through trouble, I can't sleep. I'm, I'm sitting there in the bed. I'm like chewing my fingernails up to the elbow. I'm upset. I'm worried. And You know, my wife has this gift of sleep during the storm. And some nights I just want to kick her right out of the bed. <laughs> we'll be laying there. We'll be laying there. And I'll be like, Oh God! oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. She's like... <coughs> No, she doesn't do all that, it would be funny if she did. <laughs> I just want to can't sleep and you're sleeping all night. Well, I, I remember being at my father-in-law's house when the time when their church was going through a real test and uh, there had been people that had been with him a long time that had kind of rose up, as it were, because of some confusion and whatnot and some uh, stuff that happened in various families of the church, which is beyond the scope of this today. But um, And they, they were saying things and they were leaving and blah, 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 and the end was coming and the sky was falling and he, it wasn't bothering him a bit. and Me and him were sitting there and he said, you know, I think I'm going to go to bed. And I'm like, how can you sleep in the middle of this kind of a situation? What do you do? This is nuts. How can you how can you do this? Well, normally when I ask this question, because I gripe about it regularly, normally when I ask this question, he gives me some answer to kind of just not, you know, just kind of brush me off like, well, son, if you'd learned to trust God, you'd know how to sleep. <laughs> That's not of God. <laughs> and uh, he say something like, well, you just need to speak the name of Jesus and see if you can't go to sleep. But and, and this, time, this time he thought about it. And I was like, no, really? Now, how, how do you do this? And he said this to me. Now, I want you to remember the boy sitting on the porch Saying, I don't know if I have a ride to church today, but I'd love to go. I want you to see that boy now. I want you to see him as a pastor of a very large, successful, blessed church, multiple ministries, uh, just a great, great church all around. And and I, here's this young evangelist at the time, me, saying, "How can you sleep at night?" And he says this to me. He says, "You know, God has done so much more with my life and my ministry than I ever dreamt, that I ever imagined. God has done so much more that if." If you took everything that has been done through me, if you took this church, if you took all the ministries, and you cut it in half, I still would be astonished over what God has done with my life. I want you to think about that here for a moment. If you start with the idea that God owes you something, then nothing's ever going to be good enough. But if you switch to the idea that if God never blesses me again, he has already blessed me beyond all measure. If you will get back to the point of God has been so good to me, I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. He has taken my sins away. If you get back to that kind of service, that kind of worship, I'm here to tell you today, you will be overwhelmed with thanksgiving in your life. So I, I want to I real quick, I want to tell you another story because I'm in story mode today. So uh, imagine that as a young person, God tells you you're going to do great things for God. But it seems crazy. So you believe it kind of, you know, like most of us. You believe it kind of. You're like, yes, Lord, but you don't know what it's going to be. And the Lord tells you that through your life... Uh, God is going to do great things. And, and and like Joseph, you have this dream that you're going to be lifted up even above your brethren. And God's going to place you in a leadership position. And you're kind of overwhelmed with that. like, well, okay. I, I, I don't know what will happen. But you believe it. You absolutely believe what God has said. That, that's what all of us need to do when God has spoken in our life. It's easy to believe when you can see the promise on the road. But when there's no sign of the promise, it's hard to believe. And you have to speak what God has promised to you over and over and over. If God said he was going to do it, he's going to do it. He's not a man that he should lie. And though everything wars against it, what God has said, it's going to be brought to completion. You need to speak it and speak it and speak it and speak it. And when you're tired of speaking it, you need to sing it and sing it and sing it and sing it. And if you're in the mood, you ought to try preaching it to yourself. <laughs> God said it, so you believe this. God's going to raise you up. God's going to use you. And guess what happens? You're placed in a situation where you decide, you have to pick whether or not you're going to believe the promises of God. And you do. You say, I'm going to believe the promises of God. And there's a battle that happens. And because of God's promise and anointing on you, you win that battle and everybody sees you different. Amen. Amen. Those of you who want to do something for God, don't begrudge the battles in your life. How you think your opinion of the opinion other people have of you is going to change if you don't survive some stuff. Come on now. Oh, I want to be respected. Survive some stuff. I'm just going to give that one at a discount Black Friday rate right there. (laughs) Cyber Monday's coming. I'll have some more for you next week. And so. You, you stand upon the word of God and because of the promise of God, you have this tremendous success. It's astonishing to you. You're like, whoa, everybody sees you different. Now you are brought into the edges of spiritual leadership and now there's this, this obvious royalty, spiritual anointing, so to speak, on your life. And you're like, hey, but then from that high place, you thought you would never get there. You couldn't imagine it. It's beyond anything you imagine. And in, from that place, everything changes and you lose everything and go back to the bottom again. And you have to say within your heart, maybe the Lord was confused when he said that about me because he did it. I was lifted up. I had great victory. But then everything was taken away and I crashed down to the bottom of the sea. Were you serious, God? You have to decide what you're going to do. Some of you are living this right now. You have to decide, what am I going to believe? And so you decide to believe. All right. And here, the Lord, through difficulty... Struggle, yes. Battle, yes. Spiritual conflict. The Lord raises you up again, and now you're back up, and you're up, 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 up and you lose everything. You go back to the bottom again, like Joseph, back down into the cells of the prison. I thought, I thought, I thought, but no. And up from that prison, you come again, and you believe, and you trust, and eventually, God places you. In his perfect will, and you have fulfilled everything God has said he was going to do in your life. And so now here you are, still kind of astonished that God chose you. And then one day a prophet comes and sits down across from you and says, look, the half has not been told. God's going to do something in you that is not about this generation. It's not about the here and now. God wants to take some element of who you are, your anointing, the style of your worship, the manifestation of your lineage, the establishment of your house. And God wants to use it all powerfully with great anointing, with great strength. God wants to use it all, not just for this generation, but for all time. What do you do with that? what do you do with that? Oh, okay, I, 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 don't, I don't even know. I never dreamt I would be standing here. So this that I'm telling you, that I've been asking you to imagine, is the story of King David, who came from a shepherd's field, who wasn't even respected by his own family. And Prophet came they didn 't even have him they didn 't even ask him to put on his clean coat. They just left him out. You see in this time, if you have lots of sons in the family, by the time the inheritance is, inheritance is split up, by the time you get to the youngest, uh, there 's nothing left there 's nothing for you to take there 's nothing expected of David, and yet God says, "I am with you, my anointing is upon you, and the oil of the prophet flows down over his young ruddy locks, and here he is receiving the promises of God. And he believes. He really believes. And so when Goliath's there, it's not a big step for him to say, hey, if God said he's with me, who's going to win? I mean, God said, and that settles it for me. So Mr. Goliath, I don't come to you with swords and whatnot that you have. I'm not, I'm coming to you with what I know. Why? Why can I bring what I have, which is a shepherd sling against you, which is wow, all this military technology. Well, the difference is I have God on my side. And if God said, then that settles it. So let's fight it out, buddy. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And so a Stone defeats all the armor of the day and Goliath falls. And David is brought into the house of royalty, marries the king's daughter. Man, things are looking good except the king has got a little bit psycho. I hate it when the king's psycho. Really awkward. And he tries to kill David. Now David's hiding again in the, in the, in the caves and he's a fugitive and the only people he hangs out with now are like gangsters. He's got the OG crew with him. They are gangster style and he's trying to organize him and man he's banished and out from the pit he comes through God's promise through his grit through his determination through his, let me tell you david is a praiser true grit is to be able to praise through trouble yeah. true grit's not about gangster walking around acting tough it's the ability to look at sad circumstances and say i trust god yeah. Yeah. I know it doesn't make sense to you. That's fine. God is my help in time of trouble. Who shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? That's the true grit David has that the Lord brings him up. He eventually becomes king of part of Israel. Not all of it, just a part of it. Seven years pass and every day he's like, Lord, are you going to finish what you started? And then God finishes what he started and he's brought in and then his own family rises up against him and you think this is the end but it's not the end and You guys get the idea one day prophet Nathan comes and sits down across from him and we can read this, this passage in 2 Samuel chapter number 7 and you can read this the statements that are made and the Lord says to David through the prophet, he says, look, I took you all the way from the sheepfold. You were following sheep. You were a nobody from nowhere and um, I made a place for you. I helped you to survive your enemies. I, I made a place for you. I anointed you and I, I placed my anointing upon you, and I have planted you that you may dwell in this place, and I have given you rest from all your enemies. Somebody say, yes, Lord. I've given you rest from all your enemies, and your days have been fulfilled, and I want you to know. I want you to know what I'm going to do with you. And he begins to tell him that his mercy will never depart from him. David, I know you saw what happened to King Saul. I know you saw how judgment came upon him in mercy. I just want you to know, David, I'm never going to take my mercy from you. Not only that, but I am committed to your household. I am committed to your household. I am committed to your kingdom, David. And your throne shall be established forever. The Lord has said, look, don't just think about what I've done for you. You. Don't just think about what I've done for you now, the past, the present, rest from your enemies. I want you to know what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to establish your throne forever. Yes. And here's David, like, whoa, I, I don't, uh, oh, 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 uh, oh my. And the Bible shows us this picture. After God has talked about what He's already done, what He is currently doing, and what He promises to do in the future, He Ceases speaking through the prophet Nathan, and then this is verse eighteen, Second Samuel chapter number seven. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Then say it with me. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. This is kind of a rare posture in the scripture. You'll find scriptures where they are prostrate before God. If my back wasn't so injured, I'd prostrate myself on the floor here. Uh, you you see in the scripture that that people kneel. Yes? You'll see in the scripture where people stand. You'll see in the scripture where people bow down. Not super common to see someone come into the presence of the Lord kind of like this. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. I don't even know where to start. I don't even, I can't, I can't. Uh, excuse me, Lord, I, I'm going to sit down here. This is going to take a while. Why do you sit down in the presence of the Lord? Because you know it's going to take a while for you to process what God has done for you. You know, too often we live like this. <laughs> God saved your soul. Thank you, Jesus. What y'all doing? Too often we live like this. God's healed your body. Thank you, Jesus. Where y'all want to go eat? The Lord brought you out of a generational affliction in your family where there was the curse of sin was your inheritance. And he placed you among his people and he wrapped his arms around you and he loved you, 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 he loved you. you. And we're like, thank you, Jesus, kind of like this. Y'all, let's bless the food. Good food, good meat, dear Lord, let's eat. Mm." My son's favorite prayer. I want to show you a different kind of thanksgiving. God has just told you what he has done for you, what he is doing for you, and what he will do for you. And then he listens to see what you're going to say. And you don't even know where to start. You're so overwhelmed with what God has done for you. You just stand in the presence of the Lord. And then you say, Lord, if it's all right with you, I'm going to sit down right here because I need to think about this for a little while. Hear me, church. Thanksgiving is not something you feel, it's something you do. You can feel sorrow and do thanksgiving. You can feel pain and live thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is how you walk, not simply whether you walk. This is why the apostle could say, whatever state I find myself in, I have learned to be content. Thanksgiving is a virtue that you learn. It is something that you choose. It is not simply a feeling that you have in a moment. It is something that is how you make it through your life. It is self-definition. I am a person of thanksgiving. I choose today to consider how far God has brought me. I choose today to see how merciful God has been to me. I can't rush through this today. I'm going to have to spend some time. I'm going to have to sit before the Lord. Church, hear me today. You need to be thankful and you don't need to rush through your thanksgiving. You don't need to make a list and move on. You need to think about how one bad mistake you made at a certain season of your life. It could have destroyed you. It could have put you on a path where today you're either dead or in prison somewhere, but instead God was merciful to you and God gave you a second chance. Don't rush past that here today. You take some time and you sit down and you say, God, I can't even begin to say what is going on in my heart so let me just pause from my rushing and let me discipline myself from all my distractions and let me turn away from all my evil discontent and let me say within my heart, oh, you've been so good to me. I cannot tell it all i can't begin to express it and so david sitting there begins to speak he's not rushing he's not leaping he's considering it's almost as though the psalmist or the i should say the the the, the prophet isaiah was saying come Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. There are certain things in your life that if you rush through them, you get it wrong. Thanksgiving is not fast food served in a fast food line. Thanksgiving is sitting before the Lord. David says, Who am I? Verse number number, uh, 18. Who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Who am I to deserve all this? Old church, hear me today. I never dreamt that I would pastor uh, p- uh, people that I admire as much as some as I, as, as I admire some of you. Uh, I never dreamt of it i didn 't know where there 's been several times in my ministry where i didn 't know which way it would go i didn 't know if it would be the end and I would fail miserably. but God has been so merciful to me i 'll never forget when i was when I was Uh, uh, went through circumstances of ministry that could have destroyed me. They could have destroyed me, but God was merciful to me. I'll never forget where times in my life where I was confused and I wanted to run from ministry. I didn't want anything to do with it. I just thought within myself, if this is what it is, then I really should go do business. I enjoy business and I, I, I'll just go do that. But the Lord wouldn't give up on me even though I was ready to give up on me. I didn't want to leave God or some rebel and turn into an atheist or something. That's not what I wanted to do. I just was done in my flesh, but God wasn't done for me. And you know, one of the mistakes we make, and I, I, I know I need to quit preaching soon, but this is just in my spirit, so let me share this with you. Uh, I was uh, talked real quick with Danny before service, and this, this came to me in the spirit. Uh, we sometimes make this mistake that God's level of commitment to us is equal to our level of commitment to him. No, 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 double No. God's commitment to you is way stronger than your commitment to him has ever been. When you almost lost it all and you almost walked away, he never thought once about giving up on you. When you were ready to quit, he never once gave up on you when you were bitter in your spirit he never once, I said he never once gave up on you when some of you walked away from godly living and walked away from serving God with your life and you went out in sin and unrighteousness, God never gave up on you he didn't turn up his nose at you when you were in a bar somewhere living crazy you felt his spirit in the middle of your sin and when you woke up in the quiet of your own house, you felt the embrace of God in your life God's never thought about giving up on you it is too great for me musicians it's too great for me I can't rush past it and so I am invited to take some time and sit out in the presence of God and say I don't know where to begin Lord True story, man came to one of our pastors and he said pastor i 've decided to give up on church i 've decided church i 'm not a church person. I love when people say that i 'm like oh, you 're not a church person. oh well, I guess i 'm not either." It's like people say they don't believe in God anymore. I'm like, well, tell me about this God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in him either. <laughs> in other words, you might be confused about what church is supposed to be. You might be confused about who God is. So don't reject your idea. Make sure your idea is right. This man can't. I'm not a church person. I'm, and the pastor said this to him. He said, okay, I get it. I, 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 be on, to be completely honest with you, I've had days just like you're having right here today. But before you go, you've been a blessing here at the church. Um, I'd like you to just go go in, go in, on into the sanctuary. And I'd like you to just go on down to the altar. The Lord's touched you a lot of times in that altar. I know I've prayed with you. Go on down to the altar. And I just want you to tell the Lord, goodbye, you'll, you'll see him when you see him. And the man trapped, you know, oh, uh, uh, well, I, uh, oh, okay. And he went down to the church and he got down to the altar. The pastor hid back by the door, kind of peeked through. That's what us pastors do. We're always peeking through, stalking you. That's what us pastors do. We're like professional stalkers, you know. You know, how's Brother John doing? How's Brother John doing? You know what I'm saying? Back of the door watching. The man stood there like this, lifted his head, his mouth lips moved a little bit. And then the pastor saw him break. (laughs) And he started weeping in the presence of the Lord. You can't spend time in the presence of God without being humbled how great his love for you is. God has so invested in you that he has made a way you might be included in his kingdom and in his presence forever. And so, yes, it's Thanksgiving week, and yes, we have a little bit of a holiday crowd here today. All the people with money are out spending it. It's just us poor people here today, and that's okay. God bless them, and uh, it's us. It's us. Here we are. My invitation to you is to, in your life, sit down before the Lord. Get comfortable. Why? Because this is going to take a while. And I don't want you rushing out just because your knees are sore. I don't want you giving up just because you've got a rug burn on your face. I want you to make yourself comfortable. And I want you to sit before the Lord. And I want you to say, I cannot tell it all. You've done so much for me. I cannot tell it all. What then should we say of the Lord? Well, let's start with this surely his mercy endures forever what shall we say then of the god of our salvation when we were yet without without uh, when we were yet sinners he died for us what what shall we say then when we were dead and trespasses and sins he loved us let's all stand Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual in this place here today. I'm praying your spirit would move upon them. I'm praying they would perceive how near you are to them. I never dreamt in all the astonishing ways that God would use us. One of the great joys of working in the kingdom of God is being holding in your hands the testimonies that come through. Guys, I've seen God try to destroy you guys. I've literally seen... Not God, excuse me. I've seen this world. I've seen, seen the enemies of your heart. I've seen the enemy of your soul nearly destroy some of you guys. But at the last moment, when it seemed like it was all over, it's as though a trap door opened on the stage of your life, and God just took you out of that circumstance. Have a witness. survivor. What's interesting is uh, I nearly, I nearly died of pneumonia, not cancer. <laughs> At the end of my treatment, I was so weak that I got, I got pneumonia, and they couldn't fix it. And as I've told this story before, many of you guys have gone through much greater sicknesses, so it's not that big of a deal as far as the grand scheme of things. But it was a big deal to me, you know. Yeah. And so. I'll never forget when the doctor just said, well, we'll see. You're either going to live or die. There's nothing we can do. I was so weak. I could barely walk. Someone had to literally help me take steps at a time. I'm just, I'll never forget. It was, it was something going on right then. It was, uh, interestingly enough, it was right. It was right during a time that I would be like celebrating my birthday and all that stuff. It was like, I'm lying in this bed and My family had left the room, and they were—I could see them out. They were outside talking in the hall. I don't know what they were talking about, but I figured they were probably saying something like, "Well, we hope he dies. You know, we won't have to put up with him anymore." And um, my wife was checking Facebook for all her old boyfriends and everything. And uh, (laughs) I told her, I said, "Honey, if I die, your next husband can have my new golf clubs." She said, don't don't worry, he's (laughs) left-handed. Some of you guys want to get that on the way home. I love that joke. I remember praying and saying, Lord, I I, I don't know what to ask for. I I just, I guess whatever you decide to do, uh, I guess we'll just roll with that. Now, that's not a real powerful prayer, but I don't try to be powerful when I pray. I only try to be powerful when I pray for you. (laughs) You know, I was like, Lord, uh, you know, here's the thing. When I think of what God has done in my life, when I think of what God has done in some of you guys' life, it is overwhelming how good God has been to you. God's brought you from a mighty... Like the, the psalmist said, some come from far. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your people. But I want to thank you for your commitment to your people. And when we think of the goodness of God, we're overwhelmed. And we're humbled. And we're filled with this sense of endless love and affection. First to you, but because of you, that flows down. And we show our love one to another. In Jesus' name, we praise you today. Sing it with me one more time. I surrender all. I... Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.